Hi, the world's most wicked problems need innovative solutions. Join me in this show to meet leaders, pathbreakers and visionaries who solve these problems. Not just solve them, but they've solved it at scale. When you join me, you're going to listen to their lives, the problems they solved and the fun they had doing it. Hello, welcome to the Wicked Solution Show, where you will be meeting some amazing human beings who solve some of the world's most complex problems. Not only do they solve it, they do that innovatively and at scale. Today, we are, before I invite my host for the day, I have a co-host, Ms. Shama Karkal, who has been my colleague and friend for 16 years. And uh, she's a BA in Arts and did a post-graduation in Community Institution Building, which is a very unique course and she does the community institution building for the last two decades. Shama's qualifications is one part, but she's an ardent lover of well-being for herself, her family, and for the communities. And most importantly, she's a great lover of the planet and the animals in it. And uh, it would be not correct if I also don't add in, she's a runner, a <laughs> snake catcher, and many, many things. And most of all, an amazing parent to watch and learn from. Shama, thank you for joining me as the co-host today. As I invite our guest for the day, uh, Ms. Sangeeta Patel, who works at the USAID. Sangeeta has an illustrious career of two decades, and she's a master's in public health. And uh, she's worked across the world, particularly countries like Pakistan, Namibia, and currently in India. And uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you, Sangeeta. Uh, thank you for joining us. I hope to have a conversation to know you as a person, your work, and the problems you're solving. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Sangeeta, let's begin by understanding the person. What makes you, you? What makes Sangeeta the, both the package, the person and the professional? Thanks for asking, Shiv. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, really amazing to be a part of your Wicked Solutions. I'm honored. Um, what makes me me, I guess, is just um, a product and part and parcel of uh, just being raised in a multicultural environment. Uh, um, if, in case you're not aware, I am also Indian. I grew up in a household that's very Gujarati and also was uh, raised, though, in the United States. And so I had the mix of East and West. And so I suppose what makes me who I am is a a part and parcel of that dual culture and experiencing both uh, from childhood and, and surviving. Wonderful. So do you call yourself an Indian American or an American Indian? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I call myself a human being. And I think, uh, I never think of myself as Indian American or American Indian, but just really just uh, someone who is benefited from both and is excited really to be a part of change. Wonderful, wonderful. Sangeeta, talking about your work, um, uh, could you give us a kind of a quick journey, what all kinds of things you did, uh, both formally and informally? Uh, because I know uh, somebody like you must be having colorful sides which people need to know, uh, both in your work and what you wouldn't call work more as a passion. So my journey, I think, of course, uh, as I alluded to earlier, started in the United States. Well, I was first born in the UK, 
then transitioned to the U.S. and grew up in the United States uh, in both the American as well as Indian culture and context. And I think that that has shaped who I am. I, uh, from a young age, knew that I had a passion for languages, loved travel, loved also developing countries. Uh, my parents made a point to always come to India every summer, and so I would spend months at a time here. And I think that inspired me from a young age to want to do more, to be more than just a visitor, but to actually engage in meaningful work in countries where I felt that we could partner and we could make a difference. And I think early on, uh, I did the equivalent, I think, of what is done in India as well, but I did uh, Peace Corps, which was a unique volunteer opportunity to work in a developing country. So I lived and worked in Madagascar for two years, and then that just kind of inspired me to really be at the grassroots. And I was lucky enough to land a job at USAID, and from there, really, I've been able to pursue that passion of living and working overseas as a foreign service officer in developing countries, and really just pursuing all manner of development work, ultimately to be able to to make a meaningful difference and right. to reach the most marginalized. Right. Yeah. And in your career, the fact that you're a global citizen, you know, have uh, the advantage of the multiculturalism which is there, do you also struggle with it sometimes in terms of the layered identities that one finds advantages sometimes? The Gujarati in you, the, uh, you know, the Indian culture and the American culture, does it also come in the way sometimes? I think it, it, it always does. I mean, I think that what I have really learned through life is to take advantage of both, you know? And um, I think that in some cases, from a gender perspective, all right, I felt very much like um, growing up that, you know, I was told what the role of a woman should be, uh, what, whom I should marry. Uh, you know, what education I should or should not pursue. And so for me personally, what I realized was that I had to understand that in the context of where that was coming from, but then also appreciate that I was growing up in the United States right. and that I could have access to an education, that I could pursue my dreams, that I could, you know, indeed not have an arranged marriage. And really, I think as a result of that, while I faced that duality, I also tried to overcome it by knowing how to access what were my rights, you know, in a respectful way. Right. Yeah. right. So let's talk a little bit about your core compass, mm -hmm. what drives you uh, directionally. And um, could you give us uh, examples of the people and some of the experiences which kind of gave you that Sangeeta the core? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, I think that the most uh, impressionable experiences that I have had throughout my career, especially uh, with USAID, but even personally, what has impacted me the most is, um, I think, living in Pakistan and actually trying to work within a context where there were so many cultural barriers ultimately to be able to ensure equity and access, especially to women right. of um, basic services. And for me, really, uh, during that time, I actually studied yoga. Right. And I 
I got uh, certified in yoga. And so I think what really influenced my life was uh, having this education and also access to an instructor who had been trained in India right. in Hatha Yoga. And uh, so I got to at least experience yoga and Ayurveda and Pranayama right. and really start to understand how to be more centered as a person, how to focus on health and wellness, but also how to give back to others. Right. So that really influenced me, and so did, um, you know, along the way in my journey at USAID, uh, really uh, having incredible coaches mm -hmm. and mentors that were able to guide me. And so as a result, I wanted to do the same. And so I also pursued uh, coaching certification, and now I, I do the same as well. But these are the kinds of people that left a lasting influence on my life, and kind of made me who I am. Right. Yeah. That's the commonality between all three of us is yoga and pranayama. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'm probably the lesser one here. Both of you practice it probably but, far more. Sagita is certified. I'm right. not, though I have right. done it for years. But I, I think, yes, yeah. it, there is something uh, about that centering and uh, using the breath work, I think, to yeah. uh, you know, bring things together that, that makes a difference. So. Definitely. Yeah. But I, I hope you, you mentioned in places where women and girls don't have the opportunities and uh, which you had and you were able to utilize it uh, well and you want to help others. Yeah. Uh, Sangeeta, is, is the drive for you uh, hope or is it anger that this should change or is it I have the agency therefore I would use it for others. What, what really drives you there? My goodness, it's ages and stages. I think in my youth, I was driven by anger and activism and the need to say no. So what if every person in my family has had an arranged marriage? I don't need to do the same. I don't need to follow in those footsteps. But I think through time as well, it's come as well with agency, with you know, uh, gradually rising in my career and now as a senior foreign service officer with USAID and knowing that I'm able to at least, you know, influence and impact uh, different areas and in a meaningful way. Right now, for instance, uh, USAID is really, and so is the State Department as well as U.S. government, very keen on reinforcing and delivering on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, not only in the workplace, but also in our programs. And so uh, for someone like me, with now that agency, as well as uh, that understanding from a cultural perspective, it's allowed me to really pursue opportunities, not only in our programs, but also, of course, in the workplace right. to, to ensure that rights are respected. Mm -hmm. But I think that that journey really has come from Mm, that activism, yeah. but also eventually having the ability to influence, right. you know. Right. Yeah. And what would your advice to 18-year-old Sangeeta Patel be? <laughs> oh my goodness. I think I wouldn't have changed the path that I have right. taken. Uh, the, you know, at that age, you know, I was you know, trying to figure out what to be, who to become, what were the possibilities, and, you know, I think that I always had in mind, pursue your passion. I had an incredible, incredible career counselor at that time, 
And she said, look, don't just do something because someone wants you to. Do it because it's a passion. Because something in you says that this is, you know, intrinsically part of what you want to do and what makes you feel alive. And so I think at that time that was, you know, learning languages, you know, in that case it was French. And it was also understanding more about health. In my case, it was biology. But I never wanted to be on the clinical end. And so that's how I used both passions to pursue ultimately public health. Um, so, Sagita, was, you mentioned coaching and yeah. something that you actually certified in. Yeah. And I'm wondering, when you came into USAID, uh, did you have a coach? Did you have somebody mentor you? Because you've had a long journey within USAID as well, and I'm, yeah. I'm curious what that has been like. Um, I think that at various stages I've had mentors who have been phenomenal. And uh, I've had mentors as well who I could look to and to ask questions. But I think the coaching really came into play as I pursued more leadership opportunities and really, you know, was aligned with uh, USAID's philosophy of really ensuring leadership at all levels. So through many of the leadership courses that I pursued, I was able to access coaching. and. I was so inspired by one of my coaches, not only through that program, but actually in India. Uh, when we went through the COVID pandemic, uh, there was an incredible, inspiring in individual who I worked with and also ended up working with my team. Uh, his name is Sanjay Jaganti. And he was someone who I really was inspired by. He actually allowed us to find those threads of resilience and happiness during the pandemic and in an environment where we were all of a sudden scattered. And I felt like that cohesion is actually what allowed my team and me to survive. And I think I owe it to him because after you know, having benefited from coaching in USAID and then also having benefited and been inspired by him, mm. I was like, hey, I've got to do this. I've got to pursue yeah. getting right. training in this and try and do the same for others. So I actually have a follow-on question to you because um, we were talking earlier that you are a coach now. You're, you're a certified coach and you also coach other women especially, um, you know, in your organization. And, I, and I'm curious, what are some of the common things that come up as challenges for women? Is it, is it very professional or, you know, what kind of issues do you see? I see a lot of different challenges, you know, because whether I work with men or even women, uh, one thing that always comes up is a, the whole person, you know, because how we show up in life isn't just about what our professional needs are or what's bothering us in the workplace, but also stems from who we are as a person and ultimately behaviors that might also be occurring in the home as well. And so what I find is that in coaching, some of the challenges that occur like um, you know, time management or prioritization or even issues such as uh, 
you know, not being able to, you know, handle all that comes up in a crisis situation can also be linked to how, are you, how do you show up as a person in the home? Are you able to, you know, prioritize? Do you know what matters? And I think that uh, my coaching has always been about trying to allow a person to really take a pause, right? Because everything comes at us, you know, so quickly. So in that pranayama and that yoga and that meditation, we are able to do through these ancient practices, you know, that pause and reflect. And I think that nowadays it's so hard to do that I try to find that space in coaching to do that. And I think people have the solutions inside and they just need them to come out. And so that's and what I usually do. Yeah, and, and I think that's another common thing amongst us that, well, we're not certified, but uh, I think we've all experienced uh, the power of coaching for yeah. ourselves. And Coming to the main subject of the show. Yes. Uh, <laughs> moving Sagita into the into the realm of complex problem solving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are the really wicked problems that uh, you and your agency uh, is trying to solve? Mm -hmm. And could you give us a couple of examples for us to understand which problem you picked, why, mm -hmm. and how you went about doing it? Well, this is a difficult question because um, I, I also benefited through my agency from training right. with the U.S. Army War College mm -hmm. and so in strategic studies. And so one of the things that uh, I had pursued during that time was really understanding the magnitude of challenges that are facing us globally. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we bring it back to India, I think that what I have found here, at least uh, in my work in India, is the complexity and multiplicity of challenges that come at once, you know. It's, and it's, when it rains, it rains, you know. And it's like, whether it's COVID, or even at that same time, essential health services, or even during that crisis, climate change, or even challenges with energy, with access to education, all of these areas, I feel like what really um, is the crux of what we do at USAID is about meeting where the country is and trying to work together to solve those challenges together. And I feel like in India, you know, it was, it's ebbs and flows, right? When it was the time of the second wave of the pandemic, it was a time to come in with emergency relief. When we moved on from that stage to a time when globally the world needed vaccines, the country, India, stepped up to the plate to manufacture and USAID worked with COVAX and other facilities to figure out how to get vaccines to those countries most in need. Um, but I think that it's the complexity of these multiple threats that we face uh, that I also learned in my, in my strategic studies at the War College, which really do impact us as global citizens and put us in situations where we can't just look at one thing in an isolated manner, such as the COVID pandemic. We've got to really look at writ large, the overall situation. And in that situation, what can we influence? Where can we partner to manage those 
onslaught of challenges and also where might we be of benefit globally. And I feel like many times uh, during this crisis, uh, India as a country, but even the U.S. government and the government of India have been able to partner together really to ultimately bring relief, not only uh, domestically, but also in other countries. Yeah. And it was under your leadership that uh, significant financing was brought in by USAID, uh, if I'm not wrong, around $300 million of cash and in-kind into India. And this was done under your leadership, and you were there when COVID hit the world. Uh, yeah. But in India, luckily for us, agencies, large agencies need prioritization and a lot of accountability. And countries like India, priorities shift. Absolutely. Very, very fast. How did you manage that tension, uh, Sangeeta? It's so difficult, you know, because I was a, a leader by position and uh, the resources were a gift from our United States Congress and the Indian diaspora because they recognize a great need here. And so it was emergency funding and we were able to provide support where we could in partnership with the government of India, but also a lot of the resources that remained were able to really be put to technical assistance. And I think that um, the government of India has been so progressive. Like I cannot emphasize how progressive the government has been here through Ayushman Parat, through the Ayushman Parat Health Infrastructure Mission, through emergency response resources at the state level, and really ultimately even in forward thinking in the Ayushman Parat Digital Health Mission and other areas. I feel like we as, as the USAID have just been running to try and ensure that we can be as flexible as possible in those areas. So while our funding has been very much for COVID, we've also tried to see through those flexibilities how we can also support ensuring that there are systems that are you know, really strengthened and that ultimately we can partner together to leverage even more funding and or even more capabilities and address the last mile. So I think, you know, it, it has been a real challenge and I'm not going to say that everything is perfect because part of the challenge is when you create so many incredible partnerships and then at the end of that funding, you're trying to figure out well, what next, what's the transition, how can we ensure that this partnership doesn't just collapse, but that there are other means to continue the incredible work. So while we've been able to, uh, in many ways, uh, support critical care, to support essential <laughs> services, to reach the last mile, to really promote equity access to the most vulnerable, I feel like we've also, at the same time, really uh, set the momentum mm. to encourage continued collaboration right. between the public, the private sector, across the U.S. government, government of India, across multiple stakeholders. And right. I think really in any kind of situation, especially as dynamic as in India, we stand to gain from working together, from not just ending abruptly, right. but also from figuring out ways to share mm. with others. 
I see no greater gift that India could leave, even to the world, yeah. than in areas like comprehensive primary mm -hmm. health care, in traditional practices such as Ayurveda and, you know, yeah. wellness and healing. And I think this is what we have ways to share yeah. that I hope we can continue to help promote and really go far. I'm going to give you a slightly difficult task. Okay. I want you to keep Sangeeta's humility to one side because okay. that's who you are. And look at Sangeeta's way of solving the problem and say, that's Sangeeta's way of doing it. <laughs> How would that look like? I think that for me, solving problems always is about trying to understand mm. Context. Context is everything. And I feel like sometimes uh, it's not even a question of humility. It's a question of knowing that people have been here for, you know, thousands of years, let alone, you know, even decades. And that really uh, my work is about ensuring that I listen to as many voices as possible and ultimately then do make decisions but that I take that time, right? And so if I know that, you know, there are gap areas in a state or if there are challenges that are need, you know, leveraging from the private sector, then it behooves me to listen to, you know, partners that are on the ground, to beneficiaries that are actually being impacted by the services we're trying to deliver, or even ultimately, of course, to the government of India. Because unless we have true partnership and we're owning how we're going to go about solving challenges or even aligning with a, a greater vision, then we're lost and just doing things in silos. So my approach to solving problems is about that, about trying to be grounded in the context. And consult. Exactly. And then, of course, work together mm. on solutions and make decisions so that we're not, you know, ultimately just ineffective mm. and then be accountable. Right. So it's, it's context, it's, uh, you know, construction of a solution with the, with the stakeholders and then collaboration. Yes. Right. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, Sangeeta, I, I'm very curious about, I'm always curious about women leaders yes. <laughs> and for me I think um, I've been very uh, sort of inspired by how grounded you are, you know, she was talking about humility, but I, I think um, to be where you are and I'm just curious because of what you've just shared with us in terms of everything that you do, would you be able to tell us in even just in perhaps from Pakistan where you were previously to in India, in your personal leadership style, what's changed in the way you actually deal with the work that you do, the wicked problems or the teens, etc.? Have you seen a change in, in the last few years and what would that be? Mm. I definitely see a lot of changes. I mean, I, you know, started off in the Foreign Service, uh, you know, my first assignment was Namibia, right? And from there it was Armenia then Zambia, then Pakistan, now India. And in between, I also supported countries in the former Soviet Union. And so in all of these experiences, I would be remiss to say I haven't grown as a leader. And growing cannot, it can be positive, it can also be negative, right? What I've learned, especially in this last, uh, you know, several years of growth, 
It's been about the importance of, you know, staying connected and not burning out, mm -hmm. right? And I think that especially during the COVID pandemic, I think to, you know, frontline responders, you know, like healthcare providers, community health officers, anganwadis, you know, social workers, you know, just all manner of individuals at the last line that have continued to respond. In many ways, I feel like my team and I, we were all sort of like in our world in programming resources, we were first responders. We were trying to figure out how to quickly work with the government and now we're trying to figure out how to continue to work and transition. But I feel like in that uh, struggle, right, you in your mind start to, you know, prioritize and in, in a way when there was an emergency you worked in an emergency mode and in some cases it was hard to transition out of that emergency mode and so I feel like you know the 24-7 the you know put your health your wellness aside work non-stop you know a lot of these things were part and parcel of how we managed how we coped and I think now we're easing back to, you know, back to work, to transitioning to normal hours, although I don't know. I've never seen normal hours, right? But still, That's some of the commonality. Yes. Right. I feel like that transition in leadership and management is often difficult. And for me, it's been difficult because I always have this intrinsic, you know, wish to do the best and and of course because I'm from India right for me it's more than just activities these are programs that impact my people right so then for me it's about you know trying to ensure as a leader that I get back to that balance and I think that's why, you know, one of the things that I mentioned earlier was, okay, yeah, I was reminded by a colleague last evening itself to reconnect to that balance, you know, otherwise we can't continue to lead, you know. And I think that's very powerful because again with you, I was talking about journeys of, um, you know, I think we have, we've seen certain styles of leadership and we experience it. Uh, and I think clearly there is a trend to look for alternatives and I think what women bring to that and for you to uh, perhaps also touch upon, uh, I had this interesting conversation with you where we said that I find that a lot of women deal with guilt about especially uh, in leadership with, you know, striking this balance. Yes. <laughs> not, you know, it's not just about balance within the work but generally in life yes. and, and um, how you've navigated that or your thoughts in that and, and I think that probably would be inspirational for other women as well. Well thank you for asking that. I don't know if I'm the best example <laughs> but I think that um, it's, it's often hard, it's difficult, right? Because you think of the dual burden, you know, often placed on women, you know, whether it's what is perceived to be their role in society, how they should be in the workplace or even that role in coming home and being a mother. And so I share all of those roles. And so my messaging has always been to partner, to be able to, you know, to be able to know that there is a time and place where, you know, where you may need to do one thing before the other, but to ensure that you find a balance. Because to focus too much in one area 
uh, to the detriment of the other will obviously lead to a situation of inequity and also of you not showing up as a real person, either in your home, in your personal life with your friends and family, or even in the workplace. And I think that that message that I would give is just to, you know, it is a real struggle. To know it when it happens and to act on it is important, right? And I think that that's what I, I strive to do. I strive to role model, but I encourage even others to do as well. And I think that has come into play, especially from, you know, from that journey as a Foreign Service officer in those leadership roles and then even in throughout the pandemic. And I wonder, has my experience been any different as a woman than if I were a male leader, for instance? I don't know that it would have, you know, because I also feel like, um, you, know, uh, you know, I've been blessed to have a spouse who's also a Foreign Service officer now. And when he wasn't, he was supporting me as well as my children while I was, you know, working on my career. Now that he's pursuing his career, I've asked my parents and even his parents to support me. And so what's incredible is uh, that extended family. <laughs> so the multiculturalism plays in, but I think that really, if we know that we can partner and that we're in a good place to ask for help and to seek help ourselves as well when it comes to wellness and balance, I think we'll be in a better position. Uh, I think very wise words, <laughs> A little bit of a rapid fire. Okay. One word answers. Okay. What frustrates you? Bureaucracy. What thrills you? Mm, adventure. <laughs> what makes you cry? Inequity. I could almost feel what you say. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really feel it. I feel, you know, when we, and Shiv, you've inspired me through the work of, you know, the COVID Action Collaborative. But when you've been able to, you know, reach communities such as, you know, transgender and LGBTQI plus communities, and you're able to actually change people's lives, it makes such a difference because it's not about numbers. Right. It's about some incredible human beings who are now able to contribute back to society, yeah. who now have a place, have dignity. Yeah. And for me, uh, it means a lot to, to be able to work with partners such as yourself to do that. Thank you. And that's the story we have around us today so as we're surrounded by these people who who not only inspire us but also you know give us that energy yeah that this inequity is solvable yes i want you to talk a little bit about the people who had a huge influence you mentioned the coach uh, sanjay yes uh, could you talk a little bit about people in your family or you know in your career mm -hmm. who were a big influence and who were very instrumental in some of your thought processes Oh, I would definitely say uh, I've been inspired by my entire family, of course, you know, my, from my children, my, you know, to my parents, to my husband, as well as my mother-in-law. I mean, these are people that I connect to on a daily basis who, you know, I am able to bounce ideas off of, who often talk about what they're learning, what they're experiencing, and, and really for me, it's been about that connect, 
you know, because you show up as a person based on what you're experiencing in your personal life, but also based on, you know, how you can carry those qualities forward, even in your work. And I think integrally, there are certain fundamental values that we have shared in growing up together, in going through challenges together that are deeply rooted and remain ingrained in how I like to show up in, in my work and in the work that we ultimately do to impact others. So I guess that I'm just a simple person with an incredible family. <laughs> Wonderful. I, grew, I studied in Gujarat mm. and um, you know, we all in India like to stereotype every typology of uh, you know, communities. And when I think of Shama's already smiling, when I grew up in Gujarat, one of the things which hit me is the convivality, you know, the sense of community. Yeah. Even in a train, if you were to sit down, people will feed you all the time. It doesn't matter if you're, a, being a South Indian, I don't even like to share food with anybody, right? And the frugality, when I go to some of the villages in uh, Gujarat, the simplicity of it, and the funniness of what we call as the Patel shot, when we go to tourist places. Yes. So how do you deal with these stereotypes to your advantage also sometimes? I mean, I think I face them in every walk, uh, you know, when I've grown up and even in the work that I've done. I mean, at an earliest age in Madagascar, right. um, you know, the community was a Gujarati community. So I, would, I learned Malagasy and Sakalava, which were the local dialects through Peace Corps. And then, you know, I also spoke French from my training. And then, of course, Gujarati. So everyone was confused. They're like, what are you? <laughs> are you American? Are you Indian? Are you Malagasy? What are you? And, you know, part of that is just, you know, I feel like if there's anything incredible about the Gujarati and even Indian spirit, it's that spirit of, you know, of collaboration, of partnership, of just being able to, you know, be uh, industrial, right? And to always find solutions. Like, honestly, I feel like whether it's here in India or whether it's in the United States or other countries that I've been in, I've never met, uh, you know, an Indian community that isn't hardworking, that isn't willing to take even the bare minimum and use it and turn their situation around. Like I feel like as a culture, we value resources and we value the next generation. And so I feel like fundamentally these are areas that whether I'm you know, looking at Gujarati or even South Indian because I married into both, right? <laughs> um, what I find is that it's still that same resourcefulness with humility, with giving back, because unless you give back, you can't basically close that cycle of what has come to you, you know. I think we were on uh, talking about the future generation, and this is uh, something that you had also brought up earlier. Um, what, what would be a, a message that you'd like to give young people today or thinking about the social impact sector or the development space, uh, fighting inequity, right? I, I think, what, what would you want to give as a message to young people? I guess I would take my inspiration even from some of the programs that I have seen that we've supported working with youth, you know? But I feel like, um, you know, 
It's so important for youth to get an education, to, you know, because it's like the building block to ultimately allowing them to be global citizens and contribute back to the world that they live in. And for youth here especially, what I'm so proud of really is, you know, from the prime minister on down, you know, there is that understanding that children must be educated, especially, of course, the girl child, you know. But I feel like my message would be keep pursuing that education in your dreams, continue to, you know, to obviously learn and to grow as that global citizen. Uh, pursue as many opportunities as you can, uh, I think, as well, from my development perspective, to be citizens of the community as well to understand and have a reality context so that as you're learning and growing in your education and in your you know, life's ambitions, you also have a connection back to some challenge that you're trying to help solve as part of a community. And I think that that will serve you well. It did for me and I hope um, it inspires a future generation of um, socially conscious, development-minded individuals. <laughs> and, and for those who look at social or the development sector as some, not a potential career path, right? I mm. think today a lot of people, young people especially, look at and say, oh, the private sector is where we can make a money, make a life, but sure. not this. Anything additionally you want to tell them? I would say follow your dreams, right? I mean, it could be the private sector, and it might be through the private sector that you are able to find solutions to renewable energy, right? Uh, so, you know, you, there are so many different ways, public, private, you know, entrepreneurial, where you can look at being a global citizen and look at finding ways to, to solve wicked challenges, right? And it takes each person to understand, be educated, and ultimately to figure out ways that they'll be able to be true to themselves and also be true to society in which they live in, you know? But I think that my advice would be to, you know, to still pursue private sector. There's no reason. There's not one thing is not better than the other. But it's also to kind of look back at who are you as a person? What do you want to do to contribute back to the world that you live in? And, you know, going back to what you said, that passion for people, for the planet, for climate, you know, how do you find ways to make that happen? So I think if you can do that, and if youth think like that, then, you know, they'll be able to partner even with the older generation that might have committed some of the atrocities, you know, in terms of waste and in terms of some of the wicked challenges, you know. What, what's your feeling right now? Uh, and what are you taking away from this conversation? I'm feeling really happy. I mean, I'm feeling, I'm taking away from this conversation that sense of hope. I'm inspired, first of all, by the room that we are in, right? And I'm inspired by the faces on these various uh, posters that have been created to represent those first responders, ultimately, 
that we're able to take a small amount and run with that and be able to help their communities. So for me, uh, whether it is you know, working with you or working with other partners or individuals, I'm inspired by that hope that there are more like us out there that want to, in the end, make the world a better place. So I'm gonna borrow some of the words that you mentioned just now. Socially conscious, development-minded professionals. Who would you nominate that we both interview next time around in the Wicked Solutions? I think I would definitely nominate uh, Sanjay Jagandhi. Sanjay Jagandhi. Yes. Who's been a huge influence in terms of being a coach. Absolutely. He's an incredible leadership coach and I think I'm probably not the only person that's benefited from his guidance. Wonderful. So. Wonderful. We will convince them together. To I think so. Show. I think we have to. And we have to have fun with them too. Exactly. Getting to know him better. Exactly. In Chennai. Yes. <laughs> Alright. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. Thank you so much. Pleasure having you on the show. And um, the work that you do is so important. And uh, you know, all the very best. All the time in the world for you to do your pranayama and yoga to be always centered and always smiling as you do. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And Shama, thank you for joining me oh, in this. It's such a pleasure to be speaking with both of you always. So, And thank, thank you, you as well. Thank you. Thank you.